Braconid. B-R-A-C-O-N-I-D. That was the word that Brett Smitherin played on September 4th at the World Scrabble Championship in Lille, France. The word describes a kind of parasitic wasp, and the way Mr. Smitherin played it, laying the letter tiles very strategically on the board, it was worth a staggering 176 points. It was the word that earned him the crown and the title, World Scrabble Champion 2016. When he laid down the tiles for that winning word, to many of us who were watching the match, it may have looked like Mr. Smitherum was a natural, just kind of a linguistic genius, a word wizard, a vocabulary viking. To many of us, it might have looked like he was fortunate to have extraordinary natural talent with language, but I was able to speak with Mr. Smitherum on September 7th, just a few days after that world championship, and he made it abundantly clear that being crowned world scrabble champ was not the result of natural ability. It was the product of grit. His victory was the culmination of 20 years of working with passion and perseverance. That's what today's episode is about. I'm Jeremiah Jacques. This is The Sun Also Rises on KPCG-FM. And on the show today, we'll look at grit. What is it? How vital to success is it? And can you get more grit in your life? If so, how? Mr. Smitherum is a British man, by the way. He's 37 years old. And he told me that he's been playing Scrabble quite seriously for two decades. Here's what he said. Quote, I started playing Scrabble around 1996. I wanted to master the key building blocks of the game straight away, the two and three letter words. So I started learning them, all 1,465, and committing them to memory. End quote. So to learn those thousands of short words, he wrote each word out on its own note card and tested himself on them over and over until he knew them by heart. Then came the longer words, 160,000 in total, the words that go up to nine letters in length. For each of these, on one side of a note card, Mr. Smitherum would write the letters of the word in alphabetical order. And then on the other side, he would write the solution. So, for example, the word panda, he would write A-A-D-N-P on one side, And then on the other, he would write it in order, P-A-N-D-A. That way, if he drew those letter tiles, he could just put them in alphabetical order and know what words he could make up from those letters. And on most days, Mr. Smitherum would spend two to three hours studying these cards, cramming words into his head. And actually, memorizing words was only a fraction of the total effort. Here's another quote. Word learning is only a fraction of the effort. It's like buying a carpenter's tools without possessing the skills to use them. The block of wood would remain a block of wood. End quote. So to acquire the skills, he played lots and lots of Scrabble. On many nights, he and some friends would play from 7 p.m. until 7 a.m. He said the clink of the milkman's bottle arriving on the doorstep would signal that it was time to end the game. 
While all those endless hours of memorizing and playing gave Mr. Smitherum the skills he needed to sand the block of wood down into unmatched Scrabble ability. And then with the advent of computer analysis, Smitherum's grit took on another kind of uh, retrospective dimension. After he would play a game, he would use software to analyze every move, just trying to figure out where he had played his letters well and where he had not maximized their potential. Meanwhile, he had to constantly refresh his word knowledge with more note cards. And each time the source dictionaries were updated, he had to add thousands of new words and forget thousands of old words that had been removed. When Mr. Smitherum played Brackenid, it may have looked to us onlookers like he was some kind of a natural uh, word warrior. But that's not the case. That play and the victory that it won for him was the culmination of two decades of grittiness. Grit's not just for Scrabble players. Grit is what compels some Olympic athletes to exert grueling effort for nine hours each day, month after month, and year after year. Grit turns dyslexic problem students into best-selling authors. And it makes soldiers who are not as strong or intelligent become Green Berets while the brawnier and smarter ones quit the program. In determining who will excel in competitions, in school, work, and in life, grit outweighs talent and genius, hands down. Grit is obviously a uh, desirable trait for a person to have in abundance, but many people have assumed that a person's grittiness is kind of like his height or his eye color, pretty much fixed and unchangeable. But that's not actually the case. Angela Duckworth is the author of a new book called Grit, The Power and Passion of Perseverance. And here's what she said about an individual's ability to develop more grit. Quote, When you actually get to the specifics, what specifically are gritty people like? What do they do when they wake up in the morning? What beliefs do gritty people walk around with in their heads? When you get to that level of specifics, you realize there's no reason why these things can't be taught, practiced, or learned. End quote. The main message of Duckworth's book is that you can develop grit. She says you can grow grit from the inside out. Her book is fascinating. It it, uh, basically details the results of about 10 years that she's spent studying gritty people. She's extensively studied soldiers, athletes, musicians, business people, students, and all kinds of people from other walks of life. And her work has led her to identify four main qualities that gritty individuals like Mr. Smitherum develop in abundance. First is interest. Grit begins with people who enjoy what they do. Some aspects of their work may be less enjoyable than others, but gritty people are captivated by the endeavor as a whole. And it's also important to note that in order for interest to be of the type that develops grittiness, It can't dwell on one thing for a few months and then scamper off to the next kind of intriguing thing. Instead, it has to be steadfast. Here's another quote from Angela Duckworth. Paragons of grit have extremely well-developed interests. 
They cultivate something which grabs their attention initially, but that they become familiar with enough, knowledgeable enough, that they wake up the next day and the next day and the next year, and they're still interested in this thing. End quote. Each of us can choose to stop flitting from one thrill to another and to instead keep bearing down on established interests. It is within our power to become that way. We can make a, a you know, conscientious decision to be the type of individual that stays interested in a small number of pursuits rather than being kind of a lifelong dilettante, jumping from one interest to another. One really vital part of having well-developed interests is realizing that this idea of following a passion is flawed. That idea of following your passion implies that there's some fully formed passion just floating around out there and that all we have to do is kind of discover it. But that's not actually how it works. In reality, we have to foster a passion. We have to build a passion. And that requires some work, some exploration, and some trial and error. Here's another quote by Duckworth that explains the trial and error component of that. Quote, Part of grit is actually doing enough exploration early on, quitting enough things early on, that you can find something that you're willing to stick with. End quote. There's no easy universal method for this process, and it can be arduous. But once you've explored several areas and developed a strong interest in a few of them, it's crucial to maintain that interest. Maintaining interest like this is somewhat rare because people easily become bored. It's human nature to get bored of things and to seek the novel, to seek something new because it's new. But although this pitfall is a common one, it's not unavoidable. The key to dodging it is learning to substitute nuance for novelty. So instead of perpetually shifting your attentions from one interest that you've grown bored with to another interest that you soon will grow bored with, we should instead strive to discover a new facet of the subject that we're already focused on, or a new dimension of it, or a new you know, level of it. That will inject our old interest with thrilling new challenges. Basically, that means if your interest is in the ukulele, then incorporate some new flamenco strumming patterns into your skill set. If your interest is in cooking, then expand your menu by adding the culinary delights of a, you know, a new country. If your interest is in canvas painting, consider tackling a full mural. If it's in Asian geography, then maybe it's time to expand your borders into Europe. And if your interest is in welding, then maybe it's time to add a little bit of MIG to your TIG. Whatever your interest is, you couldn't have totally bottomed it out. So if your hope is to become excellent and gritty, you just have to discover new aspects of it and stick to that interest. So step number one is interest. And then once that foundation of disciplined, continual interest is laid, a person seeking to boost his grit levels must practice. Step two is practice, but it can't be just any kind of practice. There's a Japanese term, keizen, 
And basically it describes avoiding the plateaus of stagnation. The literal translation of Kazen is continuous improvement. And for practice to be of the type that yields grittiness and excellence, the person practicing must exude copious quantities of Kazen. In other words, the practice must be deliberate. And deliberate practice is hard work. For a runner, deliberate practice is not taking a relaxing job as you catch up on your uh, NPR podcasts. For a guitarist, it's not noodling around on pentatonic scales while you watch old episodes of Malcolm in the Middle. And for a writer, it's not producing some kind of stream of consciousness flow of unedited words. Here's how Duckworth describes deliberate practice. Quote, deliberate practice is more effortful and significantly less enjoyable than other types of practice and preparation. It is working at the far edge of our skills with complete concentration. It is about doing things that you can't yet do. End quote. So the way to engage in deliberate practice is to consciously set the level of challenge to exceed your current level of skill. When I'm working on a new guitar piece, I often learn the sequence of notes very slowly at first, and then I'll use a metronome to slowly speed it up. And for some practice sessions, I'll say, you know, by the end of this session, I would like to be able to play these four or eight measures at 120 beats per minute. I don't always achieve it that day or even that week, but that's the kind of thing that Duckworth means when she says to deliberately set the level of challenge to exceed your current level of skill. And after you've set that goal, here's how Duckworth describes um, the other components of deliberate practice. Quote, you're concentrating 100%. You're in problem-solving mode, analyzing everything you do to bring it closer to the ideal, closer to the goal you set at the beginning of the practice session. End quote. The world-famous violinist Roberto Diaz says deliberate practice is, quote, working to find your Achilles heel, the specific aspect of the music that needs problem-solving, end quote. And then the final part of deliberate practice is feedback. You either use a recording of yourself, which I often do with guitar practice, or you have an expert there to give you feedback. Or in the case of our Scrabble champion, Brett Smitherum, he used that computer program after his games to analyze how well he maximized the potential of the tiles that he played. One way or the other, you need feedback to see what you're doing wrong so that you can make adjustments and course corrections and changes and so that you can just try again and do better. To better illustrate this point about deliberate practice, I'd like to tell the story of how Benjamin Franklin became an exceptionally good writer. When Franklin was in his teenage years, he wanted to become an excellent writer, but he was pretty mediocre. He actually said that he was quite a bit below average among his peers. But the young Franklin subscribed to The Spectator. That's an excellent British publication, which is still going strong today. And The Spectator featured then, as it does now, some of the very best writing available. Well, Franklin would read a certain essay published in The Spectator, and then he would reread it, and then he would put the essay away for a few days, 
And then he would try to rewrite that essay himself without looking at the original. He would attempt to express the same ideas in the best possible language and with the best possible flow and logic and color and drama and everything else that comprises excellent writing. And after he finished, he would carefully, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, compare his essay to the professionally written one in The Spectator. And then he would sort of study everywhere that his version fell short. He would study everything that was inferior in his version, find all of his faults, and then see why they were inferior and correct them. And then he would repeat this process. Franklin did this with hundreds of articles, apparently. It was tedious and arduous work, but this deliberate practice helped him to become one of the most influential writers and thinkers in American history. This deliberate practice was instrumental in his becoming one of the most prolific inventors and and one of the most revered statesmen of all time. This is a man whose books and articles are still widely read today, 200 years after his death. Before we move on to the third attribute of gritty people, I'd like to read a short excerpt from an essay by the American choreographer Martha Graham. Here is the, uh, the vivid description of deliberate practice that she paints. Dancing appears glamorous, easy, and delightful, but the path to the paradise of the achievement is not easier than any other. There's fatigue so great that the body cries even in its sleep. There are times of complete frustration. There are daily small deaths. It takes about 10 years to make a mature dancer. End quote. So whether your interest is in dance or design, riding or wrestling, sprinting or sailing, flute or falconry, blacksmithing or songsmithing, landscaping or cityscaping, social studies or Bible study. To become excellent, you need to become gritty. And to become gritty, you need days and years of deliberate practice. Well, once you have a keen interest that you're committed to sticking with, and a method of deliberate practice that lets you steadily improve in it, the next step to building grit is developing purpose. And in this context, purpose means giving to others. Duckworth writes, quote, At its core, purpose is the idea that what we do matters to people other than ourselves. It is the intention to contribute to the well-being of others. End quote. When Duckworth interviews those paragons of grit about the purpose of their work, they always, always mention other people. She said that sometimes it's very specific and particular, like my children, my clients, my students. And sometimes the mention is quite abstract, like this country, society, science, this game, this sport. But however they phrase it, the message is essentially the same. All those long days and evenings of toil, all the struggle and disappointment and sacrifice, it's all worth it in the minds of these gritty people because ultimately they see that their efforts pay dividends to other people. 
There's an exceptional artist in Philadelphia named Jane Golden. And for the last 30 years, she has led a war against graffiti in the city of brotherly love there. Six or seven days a week, she works from early morning to late evening, just converting graffiti-covered walls into beautiful, uplifting murals. So far, she's helped to adorn the walls of more than 3,600 buildings. And she's done all of this arduous work, day in and day out, despite living with the chronic pain of lupus. But she gets back out there almost every single morning because her work enriches the lives of others. In a recent interview, Golden said, quote, Everything I do is in a spirit of service. I feel driven by it. It's a moral imperative. End quote. So since Jane Golden is focused on contributing to the well-being of others, she's able to continuously accomplish more and more even despite her pain. And for any of us to be excellent at our pursuits, we have to have this motivation, knowing that what we are doing is bigger than ourselves and that it's contributing to the advancement and well-being of others. The final component of the grit formula is hope. Hope even when all seems lost. Now, this isn't the type of hope that places the onus on the universe to sand the rough circumstances down into something smooth. Instead, Duckworth says it has to be the kind of hope that, quote, rests on the expectation that our own efforts can improve our future, end quote. People who believe that they're victims of circumstance are seldom gritty, and they seldom achieve excellence in their field. Here's another quote from Duckworth's book. The hope that gritty people have has nothing to do with luck and everything to do with getting up again. You really do need hope from beginning to end because, of course, no matter where you are in your journey, there are going to be potholes and detours and things that might make you think that it's not worth staying on this path. Back in 1999, our Scrabble champion Brett Smitherum traveled to Melbourne, Australia for his first attempt at the World Championships. He entered into the final day of that competition, ranked in the top four competitors, but he played badly and plummeted a heartbreaking 40 places. Without hope, that might have been the end of his career with the beautiful game of Scrabble. And he told me that he actually did come close to calling it quits after that devastating loss. But Mr. Smitherum had hope. He had hope that he could improve his future. And it compelled him to try again and again and again until he finally became the very best Scrabble player of all 7 billion people on earth. Hope in this context is basically the conviction that we do have the power to do something, to rebound from challenges and stumbles and rough patches, whether they're small stumbles or huge ones. Whether the rough patch requires P40 grit sandpaper or P400 grit, this kind of hope stays sure that it can be smoothed. So that's it. If you want to be excellent at something, you need grit. And if you want to be a gritty person, you need unwavering interest, deliberate practice, 
a purpose bigger than yourself, and hard-nosed hope, even when all seems lost. We see examples of excellence, not just in Scrabble champions and Olympians and musicians and soldiers and artists, but we also see it in our colleagues at work, in really devoted parents that we know, in exceptional husbands and wives, and in all kinds of other individuals. They're doing normal things, so to speak, but in abnormally excellent ways. Now, we could choose to attribute their various types of excellence to natural gifts and genius and talent. That kind of mythologizing is a a comfortable way to sort of let ourselves off the hook. It kind of excuses our own average performance. But if we see that grit was crucial in producing all of that excellence, then we shouldn't be so quick to give ourselves a pass. We should be driven to develop grit in ourselves so that we can achieve more excellence and attain more of our potential. You're listening to The Sun Also Rises on KPCG. You can contact us by emailing tsar at kpcg.fm. Please go to thetrumpet.com today to check out a, a new article that we have up about grit and about how you can develop more of this vital attribute in your life. This is the final episode of season one of this show, but we'll be back next year with a new season and lots of exciting new episodes. In the meantime, please keep on spreading the word about the show and please keep on sending us tips and feedback. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in today and also to thank the New World Scrabble champ, Mr. Brett Smitherum, for answering my questions about his grittiness so thoroughly. I'd also like to thank Angela Duckworth for writing such a powerful book. If you'd like to check it out, the name again is Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. We also link to this book in our article on thetrumpet.com. I'll leave you today with the words of the host of the Key of David program here on KPCG, Mr. Gerald Flurry. How much of a perfectionist are you? Do you strive for the perfect marriage, the perfect children? Do you labor to produce the most perfect product possible at work? If we do this, good things will happen. God tells us to develop that quest for perfection in everything we do.